The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, thank you very much, Sergio Bosa. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Dominic Chu in for Scott Wapner today. The slow melt-up in stocks is picking up steam. Is this the start for a new cycle for the market or just maybe another bear market rally? Plus, Retail, sky-high inflation, and the state of the consumer. What the latest earnings reports from Walmart and Home Depot are possibly signaling. Our investment committee today is Jason Snipe, Jim Labenthal, and with me on set, I'm so excited, Stephanie Link, and of course, downtown Josh Brown. So let's get a check on the markets right now because we are just about at session highs. Stocks trying for more gains, as you can see. The Dow up for a fifth day, and the Nasdaq is almost just a hair, five basis points away from being in positive territory, but it's just off the lows of the session right now. We are moving higher, and the Dow Industrial is up about 255 points. Uh, let's start with our folks in studio. Stephanie Link, <laughs> is this exciting? Is this something that the bulls should hang their hats on? Are, are, are we all in the clear? The lows are well in the rearview mirror at this point? I don't know. Well, it's exciting to be here with you, Dom. Yes, so there's I'm that. But in terms of the markets, I, I think we're going to chop around. Maybe between now and the end of the month, we can continue to rally because we're getting through earnings and we don't get any inflation data. But then you have September that comes and you do have a lot more inflation. And then you have the Fed meeting. I am encouraged that the economic data is not falling apart, which is a good thing, right? I mean, if you look at industrial production today, it was double expectations and capacity utilization was up over 80 for the fourth straight month. So that's good. Manufacturing seems to be holding up. It's housing that's not, right? And it's inflation on top of that. And so as long as we have inflation and high inflation, we're going to have to deal with the Fed. And so I think September kind of gets dicey. So, so Josh, I mean, valuation-wise, we, we've made this kind of case before that valuations were a concern. They don't appear to be as much of a concern anymore. Now, they can say that earnings expectations are doing better than they have, right? We have seen earnings come in better. Is this then a sign that maybe the fundamentals do justify a market that can continue to head higher? I really, it's a great question. Dom, I really don't think fundamentals are the problem, and I don't think, uh, excuse me, valuations are the problem. And I don't think valuation really has been an issue uh, for most of the market. We had a few pockets of the market where valuations a year ago were ridiculous, but most of that has uh, cured itself. So uh, the bigger issue I think right now, if you think about the things that have driven the rally off the lows, um, the bigger issue is how many of those things are sustainable or will stick around long enough to support the values that, that we have or the levels of, of the market that we have now. So what are those things? Well, the stock market very much likes falling oil, 
falling gas prices, falling gasoline prices, most importantly. And we've had that. We've had like 60 days of declining prices at the pump. Very notable uh, decline, too. Not just a little bit off the highs, but very much off the highs. And in fact, you see WTI crude today down another 3 percent, 86 and change. That is uh, the lowest that we've seen since January. That predates the invasion of Ukraine. That's been important. The second thing, falling interest rates. For some bizarre reason, the Fed is dropping 75 basis point rate hikes like it's going out of style and financial conditions are actually easing. I would argue this works against the Fed's larger goal and is not a great thing in the intermediate term, but it's been helpful in the short term. The street likes lower rates. That's why you see this rally being led by the high multiple, high growth crowd. Um, And then the last thing that we've had is still a lot of liquidity and a lot of support. Even though we've had rate hikes, we've had a lot of uh, we've had a lot of liquidity in the fixed income markets in September. That part of the story changes. And I've been talking about this, and I don't think enough people are talking about this. We are going to have a ratcheting up of quantitative tightening, regardless of what's gone on with the 10 year, um, regardless of what's gone on with earnings or any of that. And I don't know that this market can handle that big of a change in financial conditions coming from the Fed itself. So we're going to have to see. Um, but I think you've got to continue to give the benefit of the doubt for the bulls in the very short term. But September is right around the corner. So, so Jason Snipe, it's, it's, it's interesting. By the way, we're going to have a lot more of that energy and oil trade later on in the show because we want to dive into whether or not that's driving a lot of the market activity that we've been seeing. But, Jason, it, you know, it's interesting. We're, we're talking about all of this and this market rally on a day when retail earnings really are kicking off in earnest. And we got a decent look from two of the arguably best bellwethers in the American retail business, and that's Walmart and Home Depot. I, I wonder, though, Jason, if either of those reports have, sent, have done anything to change your view of the markets overall. Do we think that this is still constructive, given the consumer outlook we got from both of those retail giants this morning? It's a great question, Dom. And obviously, you know, Josh and Steph have cited a lot of the macro data that I think has been supportive of this market. We looked to inflation last week, PPI and CPI coming in a little lower than expected. And I think what's the important point that Josh just mentioned is uh, QT is starting in earnest in September. But to your question, Dom, uh, on retail earnings, you know, obviously Walmart cut their guide uh, a couple weeks back. The numbers were, were solid. I mean, it's just retracing the number previously that they, that they had, had cut from is really where, where, where they arrived at, you know. Um, revenue growth was up about eight and a half percent, which is solid. And I think Home Depot, I mean, we, we've talked about the housing trade a lot, the housing adjacent trade. Um, Home Depot was solid. I mean, revenue uh, beat, EPS beat, um, you know, the pro numbers are pretty solid. You know, so I think the consumer is, 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 is in a decent place. I don't think they're doing great, but I don't think they're doing as poorly as we've all talked about over the last couple of months. Um, so I think this is a good read through. We'll see. We have more. We have Target tomorrow. We have some more retail names coming up later this week. So it's going to be really important to kind of uh, and then we also have retail sales, which will be important to kind of see where we are in the state of the consumer, as you as you alluded to earlier. So so Jim Labenthal, with with all of that in mind, if there is something to be taken away from the Walmart discussion this morning and the Home Depot discussion this morning, it's what in your mind? Is it that the U.S. consumer really is going to still continue to be that big engine of growth for these for these consumer-based companies? 
Dom, I, I don't think that's what you can draw as far as a conclusion from today's reports. I think today's reports actually don't give you that much insight into the consumer. And I hate to punt on the question, but, you know, it's looking backwards to begin with. And I, I think what's going to matter to the consumer is looking forward what's going on in the world. Now, everybody so far has pointed out that September is a, traditionally a tricky month and likely to be a tricky month this year as well. We've got a lot going on, whether it's elections, inflation, the Fed or Russia versus Ukraine. But I think you should expect that choppiness in September. Uh, but you should also expect when you look forward four months from now, just four months from now, here are the things that are likely to be completed. This is the bull case, not necessarily definitely going to happen, but this is the bull case. Four months from now, the Fed is likely to have raised another 100 basis points and be done, likely to be done. Um, yes, as Josh pointed out, quantitative easing is going on, but that can also be sopped up by the fact that there is a lot less supply coming from the Treasury. Uh, also, what is likely to be done is inflation is likely to be meaningfully on the way down. Josh uh, referred to gasoline prices at the pump. Gasoline futures are down much more than gasoline prices at the pump, indicating that there is more decline to come at the pump. You're also likely, well, likely, you should be downstream of the midterm elections, meaning four months from now, a lot of garbage, a lot of debris is going to be in the rearview mirror. And you've then got to look forward to a less aggressive Fed, inflation coming down, and all that supply chain onshoring promoting economic activity next year. So September, definitely tricky. The, today's reports tells us nothing about September being more benign or less benign than traditional. So I'll just say choppy. But I also think that by the end of the year, whether it's consumer, capital expenditures, the Fed, a lot of the dirty work's going to be done and we'll have pleasant days to look hey, forward J to. Hey, James, it's Josh. Thank you for joining us today. I want to ask you about the very big difference between uh, gasoline prices, which, of course, we love to see down, and rent, which A, is not coming down, and B, is a much larger factor in the way we calculate inflation. Don't you see that as the type of headwind that could continue to maybe not surprise to the upside in these coming inflation reports, but keep the overall headline number stubbornly higher than where the Fed would want it? Yes, Joshua, since you call me James, I will go by your formal name of Joshua. I think you make a fine point. Um, I, I don't have a counter to that. Uh, nothing is ever completely rosy and nothing is ever completely uh, rain soaked. Uh, you make a very good point. It's one that uh, I, I don't have a solution to, but it's one that's ameliorated by the declines, not only in energy, by the way, but also in freight costs, things that work their way through to goods prices. Um, so, you know, in a mixed bag, uh, as I've been saying all year, I, I think the negatives have, until July, been far outweighing the positives. And now you're seeing the positives outweigh the negatives. But, yeah, there's always some negatives there. I mean, I think you can look at the pending home sales numbers, Jim, and be encouraged, right, because it's a leading indicator. And we don't want to see it down. But single-family pending home sales fell 12 percent year over year. So to the point of rents are high, they follow home prices. But if pending home sales are coming down, then eventually home prices are going to have to come down. So I think we have a long ways to go before rents come down. But watch the housing market in general, because that's going to be your tell down the road.
Yeah, Stephanie, and also whether it's housing uh, for purchase or housing for rent. I mean, the other thing we have to pay attention to here, we all know this, is how much job destruction is going to go on. Is it going to be enough job destruction that is kind of sopped up by the job vacancies that are out there? And I know there's some question about how many job vacancies are really out there, but there are more job openings than unemployed right now. So the question is, with the Fed doing what it's going to do, is it going to do more job destruction to the point where the consumer is really impacted uh, from a consumption point of view, be it rent, be it gasoline demand or anything, or are they going to stick the proverbial soft landing? And with the economic data that we've had over the past few weeks, the chances of an economic soft landing have increased, in my opinion. All right. So that's huge because we heard the same thing from Professor Jeremy Siegel on Squawk Box this morning. I was watching the segment and he basically said that I think June will be a bottom and I think the second half of the year will be quite good. I'm becoming more optimistic about a soft landing. At the same time, Bank of America's fund survey basically said that they saw clients, net buyers of U.S. equities for the seventh consecutive week. So you put all of those kind of tea leaves together. And is that an early cycle trend, perhaps, that this thing has legs to the upside because everyone's becoming a little less pessimistic? about the outlook and then you got the retail stuff coming out from Walmart and Home Depot this morning. Well, that's why I mentioned the economy is slowing, but I don't think we're in a recession, right? Because of what I said before, the manufacturing side of the of the equation and the consumer is holding up. I mean, look at the comps, the comp numbers. By the way, Target last quarter when they disappointed, they also had very strong comps. It was a gross margin, it was a mix issue. They had the wrong stuff. They had too much inventory of the wrong thing. So it takes a couple of quarters to move that down. So I do think the consumer, well, I've always said don't bet against the US consumer because we're, we're we're, we consume, right? That's, that's what we do. And it's, it's 75% of the U.S. economy. So I think the, the consumer is getting pinched on inflation, but they're still buying. The economy is a soft landing right now. I don't know what the Fed, if they get more aggressive, what they're going to do and what it's going to mean for the overall economy. But for now, that's why I say between now and end of August, you can see the markets continue to, to drift higher, but we still have a lot to overcome with the Fed. So, so uh, and you know, Jason... The other thing I wanted to bring up was J.P. Morgan's Marco Kolodovic, who's often featured on this show, talking about this notion that tail risks have been diminishing post-consumer price index data. Sentiment is improving for risk assets. There's signs, signs that the peak in inflation is behind are growing, which reinforces the idea that Fed hawkishness is likely behind and a soft landing. You notice a theme here is increasingly likely. So there are more and more people. This is not because I am bullish on things, but a lot of the experts that that kind of watch these markets, including our committee members, are becoming more constructive. Jason, are you more constructive on the markets, given what Marco Kolonovic at J.P. Morgan is saying? Yeah, Dom. So on the margin, I, I absolutely am a bit more constructive. I think you know, the inflationary data last week was encouraging. And, you know, if I, I think it's potentially a series, you know, start of a series of lower inflationary prints. You know, as, as we've been citing earlier today, I mean, commodity prices have been coming down. Oil futures are coming down. This is affecting the headline number. You know, but when I think about wages and shelter costs, which are which are obviously a lot of what core represents, 
that's where my concern is. I think shelter costs are going to be slow to come down. Um, even if I look at the JOLTS numbers, the JOLTS numbers have moderately uh, come down. So I don't see real demand. I don't see real labor destruction um, and, and wages starting to meaningfully uh, slow. So with all that being said, you know, I, I still think as we look at the headline number and pay attention there, I do think that's supportive of the markets, you know, which has made me a little bit more constructive um, you know, from an investment perspective. And, and we've been more bearish, you know, to start this year off. So, yeah, I think, I think equities could still do well. I see the headwinds. I think, I think they make a lot of sense. But I think equities could still move higher into the second half. Stephanie, I, I wonder, I mean, I, I understand that there are a lot of reasons to be constructive and bullish. But I also like being balanced because I like knowing what the risks are. Right. There's got to be something out there or a slew of things that make you say, you know what, there could be another leg lower. But what are those things? What, what in your mind could say, hey, you know, this whole thing gets derailed? The Fed is unsuccessful, right? And they're too aggressive based on what we know. We know that inflation has peaked, but it's going to stay high. Do they see, are they comfortable with it staying high? I'm looking at the core PCE number. It's too high. It's at 4.8%. They want it to be two. So to the extent that they're really aggressive in September and they're hawkish in their commentary and they overstay their welcome, that is a worry point. They do not have a good track record, Dom, of a soft landing. They don't. Right. And we are slowing. The economy is slowing, not a recession again. Maybe it's two, maybe it's three percent kind of growth. That's good. That's good enough for earnings. And if inflation comes down, maybe the margin story. I don't worry as much about the margin story so I can craft a very positive picture. If we didn't have the elephant in the room and the Fed kind of just continuing to do going down one path without seeing kind of the bigger picture. Josh is laughing right now. Why? Recession in Europe. Um, the most inverted yield curve most people investing right now have ever seen in their life uh, or in their, their investing life. It's screaming. So the hourglass has been turned over. So it's not imminent recession tomorrow, but that is the direction it's that we're heading. It's not because it, it, there's a lag impact of the Fed, right? It's I agree. Like, it's like nine months. So 2023, the pro- the well, problem a totally is, different story. But between now and end of year, I don't, I don't think you listen, we but when you, when, All right. So for every Marco Kalanovic, I'll, I'll, see, I'll see Marco and I'll raise you a Mike Wilson. Sure. Uh, B of A thinks this is just a, a tactical bull market uh, or bear market rally. Like I, I, can, I can throw experts at you also. Big picture. Now you have a VIX sub 20 once again throughout the course of this year. If you got very aggressively excited because stocks were up and started buying heavily at VIX sub 20, you've had your head handed to you repeatedly. Go look back at April. We thought it was all good. Like the market had recovered from the shock of, of Russian uh, aggression and a little, a little bit of concern about the Fed. And then we were back to off to the races. You had a VIX 20 in May, in June. They crushed you. I don't think we want to look at uh, a nice rally off the lows for some of the best run companies in America, like Apple, which is now actually getting bigger relative to the S&P. It's the only one of the fang names um, that if you do a ratio chart, it's actually growing uh, in importance to the S&P. Um, you look at that, you look at financial conditions easing, which is the exact opposite of what we should want if we want the Fed to be done or to have a lower terminal Fed funds rate or whatever. These things seem like they're going in the right direction, but in reality, I think they're prolonging um, the inevitable. And nothing would make me happier than for this to be a soft landing. I just think it's premature. And to look at stock prices and use that as at, like our, you see, the market, the market gets it. That is not historically 
um, been a, a successful investing strategy. So, so Jim, I, okay, to, to kind of cite what Josh was just referring to, the B of A August Global Fund Manager Survey basically says that sentiment remains bearish, but no longer apocalyptically bearish as hopes rise <laughs> and inflation and rates end in the coming quarters. The B of A bull and bear indicator stays at max bearish for right now. Cash drops, but is still very high. Wolf Research says the U.S. equity market is now priced for perfection in our view, with consensus expecting the Fed to pause in December, inflation to decelerate quickly, valuations to remain steady, a recession to be avoided, and EPS estimates to come down only modestly. So there does seem to be caution out there. Is that reasonable to say that there could be caution out there and that we should be a little bit more apprehensive? Of, of course it's reasonable. What Josh just said is reasonable and accurate. You know, and things like the yield curve inversion need to be paid attention to. I, I think, you know, first off, let's be clear. I don't think anyone here is saying that they definitively know that a soft landing is in the cards. And I don't think anybody here is definitively saying they know this is a bear market rally, at least not on this table. What we're doing is we're exploring potential outcomes. Now, for me, this is my thesis, okay, that this really hinges on inflation. Josh makes the compelling point as well that the Fed doesn't want financial conditions to ease right now. And the reason it doesn't want that is because it wants to combat inflation. So the what if that I give at large, not just to Josh, is what if inflation is coming down? Um, what if inflation is coming down as measured not just by commodity prices, not just by freight costs, which we see coming down, but also by layoffs, which we see uh, increasing and which, again, I've said may increase uh, past the level where demand destruction occurs or may not. But what if inflation comes down such that then the Fed can shift to its dual mandate, which is to keep maximum employment? We are not there yet. That's not what I'm saying, okay? What I'm saying is there is a very reasonable outcome that we reach that point where inflation ebbs to the point that the Fed doesn't have to be as hawkish as everybody fears and can focus on maximum employment, which is part of its mandate. I'm not saying that's definitely what's going to happen. I'm saying it's reasonable, as is what Josh said. All right, Jim, uh, I would also point out that in the last few minutes or so, the Russell 2000 small cap index just tick towards positive territory. So we're kind of seeing the same thing today that we saw yesterday-ish in some ways with a small sell-off kind of accelerating to the upside, melting up, if you will. So we'll keep an eye on that. All right, coming up on the show, hedge funds are out with their latest holdings and some very interesting moves and themes are developing there on those so-called 13Fs, including one about the tech trade overall. We are following the money that's coming up next. Halftime is back in two minutes here. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. 
Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. As you just see there, the, the markets are at session highs right now. So how did some of Wall Street's biggest investors position their portfolios during the second quarter and the associated volatility? Leslie Picker is following the money. She's following the whales. She's whale watching, so to speak. Leslie, what are you seeing? <laughs> Uh, seeing a lot of whales out there, but the theme of the quarter was managers offloading risk with some sporadic, pretty small opportunistic buying. It, it really does make sense, Dom, considering the S&P dropped 18 percent in the three months through June, which is the time frame covered by these filings. Many major investors sold off some of their tech exposure in particular. Third point, Stan Loeb exited stakes in Amazon, Dell, Zendesk, and Microsoft. Appaloosa's David Tepper trimmed holdings in Alphabet, Micron, and Microsoft. Large growth investors like Tiger Global, Co2, and D1 sold off many of their tech names in an effort really to stem losses in performance. Michael Burry, known for calling the subprime mortgage crisis, sold out of all 11 equity positions. We're talking Meta, Alphabet, Warner Brothers, Discovery, just to name a few. He added one $3 million bet during the quarter to Geo Group that was a private prison operator. Other managers added to some of their more value-oriented plays. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway picked up some more Paramount Global, Ally Financial, Apple, and Chevron. Viking Global at least doubled stakes in Meta, Block, Boeing, Take-Two, and Dollar General. So clearly, you know, not everyone was totally deterred by what was going on in the market. But a reminder that these positions are, as of the end of June, they have likely changed in the six weeks since then. Dom. All right. So, Leslie Picker, thank you very much for the update there on that. I I think the thing that sticks out to me is the two-way traffic on some of the biggest tech names and some of the beaten-up ones. Mm -hmm. That's maybe the thematic element here. So, Stephanie Link, you're you're looking at me saying, yeah, maybe it's a little skeptical on some, but not on others. Yeah. What, what 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 were the good buys then, and what were the ones that you would you'd want to stay away from? Well, well, no, I mean, I, I think look, I think if you add in technology and comm services together, it's 35% of the S&P 500. So I'm underweight. I've been underweight. Maybe I'm 20%. I'm still 20% of my portfolio. So I think you can pick and choose in terms of what you want to own. I think you want to have a barbell. That's at least my strategy. So it's kind of some value, some growth. So I like IBM, for example, right, on the value on the value side. And Broadcom is a fairly new position for me because it, too, dropped. And I thought it was pretty interesting at the valuation uh, that it was trading at. I own Fortinet, and unfortunately, they didn't have a great quarter, and it fell 18%. I bought more there because I like cybersecurity. Uh, Accenture, they've, have, they've done a great job delivering in terms of just on top line, bottom line. Every day, they're making small acquisitions to grow their business, and that's a hidden cloud play. They have a relationship with Salesforce.com. So there's places, I think, that you could add to. I just don't know. I don't want to traffic in where everybody is trafficking in. That tends to be kind of the fang uh, names. I own Meta. Unfortunately, that's been the, the, the dog, but uh, that's the only one I'm playing. At this Jason Snipe, the, the big tech trade has been something that a lot of folks are following because 
It's been the leadership for the past decade and a half. Every time there has been a dip in the market, there has been a recent dip in the market, and they are leading once again. So are you sold on this tech comeback that we're, that we're witnessing right now? So, Dom, obviously these names have run a lot, you know, as you, as you mentioned, over the last decade and, and since this bear market rally has begun. So I think what I would say about mega cap tech is price really matters. You know, you look at a Microsoft or an Apple both trading at basically 28 times forward. You know, the market's trading about 18 times with a Fed that's truly engaged and also QT, you know, starting in September, like I mentioned earlier, Block. You know, I think you have to be selective, as Steph said. I think you can't just buy in a broad stroke. But um, there are some names that still have nice earnings growth, but I think you have to really be selective. You know, I like cybersecurity as well. I like Qualcomm. I like some, some of the semis here. You know, and, and then Apple and Microsoft are, are names that have been mainstays in our portfolio. But that's how we're that's our read on the on the tech sector as it stands right here. It always seems to be Apple and Microsoft and Alphabet <laughs> and maybe to a certain degree Meta, although it's had its own problems. Jim Labenthal, I, I wonder if if that's the trade. Do you kind of go with the same names in, in technology or do you say maybe it's more chip focused this time around versus just say Apple, Microsoft or, 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 or Alphabet? Well, well, first off, I want to thank Jason for bringing up Qualcomm. He knows that's one of my favorites as well. But in answering your question, you know, what I'm doing with tech, first off, I'm slightly underweight to the market uh, weighting as per the S&P 500. Now, what that means, though, is I'm still about 23% in tech. So it's a meaningful portion of my portfolio. I'm in uh, the what I consider the value-oriented portion. So that's Qualcomm, that's Cisco Systems. And, and then I have some FANG names well underneath uh, the market weight. Uh, so I've got uh, Microsoft, Alphabet, and Apple. But my overall underweighting is a way of saying, yeah, I think tech is going to be just fine. It's not where I expect the market-leading performance. For that, I expect cyclicals. Uh, and that's why I'm overweight in things like energy materials, industrials, and financials. If you disagree with me, obviously, don't be overweight there. But I have a thesis that economic expansion is set to pick up in 2023. Um, one of the things, though, Dom, I want to point out that I find telling in these hedge fund reports is you don't see any of these hedge funds loading up on utilities or consumer staples. And I mean real consumer staples like a Kimberly Clark. You don't see them hunkering down for some huge recession that they see in the offing. That to me is a pretty positive sign. Yes, I understand that large cap tech fang is looked at as today's defensives. But if you really thought you were going into a recession, uh, if these hedge funds thought this, they'd be in utilities and staples. That's not what we're seeing. Josh, what do you think? I mean, I, this, this idea that you don't see a lot of these funds wholesale going into those straight up defensive plays. Utilities may not have been that play in the past, but consumer staples certainly have been at, at, at points in the history when you're trying to avoid a recession. Is there anything that you're seeing that makes you feel as though this is a defensive tilt in any way, shape or form? I think when when hedge, the large hedge funds want to get defensive, they're not going long utilities. They're shorting stuff. Um, or, the, or they're putting on options trades. They don't, they, they're not long only. They're not fully invested. They don't have to hide out in staples or utilities. So I, I, don't, I don't think that that's, I think that's a non sequitur. What I want to talk about, what I thought was most interesting, uh, Dan Loeb getting involved in Disney. Um, Dan Loeb very successfully took on Sony. Very similar situation. They had a lot of non-core assets that were not helping the cause. That stock is now 100% higher than where he had initially uh, got involved with the company. Um, and so I'm really going to watch that one closely. I think it's good for Disney to feel a little bit of the heat, even if they don't respond directly. Uh, but I also think in my portfolio, CrowdStrike 
This is an unsung hero for me. It's a large text. Uh, let's call it a mid cap technology stock. Um, this is one of the best performers I have. It's now flat on year, which is miraculous for a SaaS uh, software company. I think cybersecurity is one of the biggest challenges over the next 10 years. No matter what the Fed does, it's not related to global growth. It's going to continue to be very important for companies to spend more money on every year. CrowdStrike acts very well. And we just found out that uh, 0.72 bought about 800,000 shares last quarter, according to the filing. Um, so that's almost the whole position that uh, they have was just uh, purchased. So uh, CrowdStrike for me is, is the mid to large cap tech that I'm most excited about that I'm currently invested in. All right. That's the tech trade there in a nutshell. Uh, by the way, we mentioned before energy, right? That trade, the energy is the worst performer this month, but still the best performer so far this year. Jason Snipe is making some moves in that industry, so we'll have Jason's trade on the Halftime Report coming up after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Good afternoon, I'm Frank Holland. Here's our CNBC News update for this hour. Former Trump Organization CFO Alan Wauselberg is expected to plead guilty on Thursday to criminal charges tied to the Manhattan DA's investigation of former President Donald Trump's businesses. Two people familiar with the matter say he's expected to be sentenced to five months in jail as part of a plea. The Food and Drug Administration making hearing aids available to consumers to buy over-the-counter without a prescription or a medical exam. That's a long-awaited goal for nearly 30 million consumers. Those devices will be available for people 18 and older with mild to moderate hearing loss. And the decision to euthanize Freya, Norway's beloved celebrity walrus, brought an abrupt end to her summer of stardom. Freya was suddenly put down over concerns over her welfare and the risk to crowds that flocked to see her swim along the country's coastline. Her death has provoked public outrage and renewed long-standing concerns about how Scandinavian countries treat their wildlife and natural resources. Dom, back over to you. Sorry to send it over in a bit of a down note. I don't even uh, want to address it. it. It's, yeah. Yeah, I it's the opposite of a free will. No, I don't, I don't like it. Anyway, thank you very much, Frank Holland, for that. Oil is sliding again. It's now down more than 10% just so far in August, and we're not even done with it yet. The energy sector has moved into positive territory today, but it's still the only negative sector for this month overall. Jason Snipe, we talked about it before the break. You are adding to your position specifically the Spider XLE, which tilts towards the energy sector. Take us through the reasonings why. You got it, Dom. So obviously XLE, well, I should say the energy sector has underperformed, as you just stated. But for us, you know, and, and I look at oil as a, as a proxy, part of a proxy to oil, to, to energy names and what, they, what they've done. But when I, when I looked at earnings, uh, this quarter, energy has really been the outperformer. You know, look at Chevron, which had really great numbers, which is another name that I own. But we decided to ex- add to XLA here. I think with SBR coming off the docket in October, you know, hurricane season, which, which we're in, um, you know, I, I do think there's a lot of tailwinds for the energy trade. And as, as it pulled back this month, we looked at it as an opportunity ad, so we did so. 
All right, Jason Snipe with the trade on energy there. Thank you very much. Coming up, trades on some of the big analyst stock calls of the day. And today it's all about those financials, which are among the best performers since the June lows. We've got that debate on the financials coming up next on the Halftime Report. You're seeing the S&P financials sector up about 1% nearly on the day so far. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. Now for the calls of the day, we are tracking the payments and financials space. First up, you've got PayPal getting a rare upgrade to outperform today. It's been a big underperformer. The analysts over at Daiwa say that there are a number of positive catalysts falling into place for PayPal. Those shares have been crushed over the last year, but they're up nearly 40 percent since last month. And Jason, PayPal is a name that you own do you agree? Is PayPal one of those reasons, is one of the reasons why this catalyst, and by the way, they specifically mention the increased stake by activist investor Elliott Management in PayPal as well? Yeah, no doubt about it, Dom. Obviously, uh, PayPal has really struggled this year, down 46%, as you mentioned, year to date. But I think the Elliott, the Elliott play is, is a really nice play. Obviously, the street likes it. They've got a really good uh, reputation in this space. I think on the cost reduction uh, piece. I think they'll really help there. I think also the buyback, $15 billion buyback that was announced and also, um, you know, an, an investor day um, that they're, that they're going to have. And I think also, you know, when you're looking at the management team, they hired a new CFO, which I think could be positive and a catalyst for the stock. So I like it here. I mean, it's gotten really beat up. So I think there's an opportunity. The multiple has also come in dr- dramatically, trading about 26 times forward. Okay, so that's the PayPal story. Jim Labenthal, this analyst over at Daiwa, is also downgrading both Visa and MasterCard to neutral ratings. He cites reduced earnings upside for those credit card processing companies. Jim, Visa is a name that you own. So is this Visa call something that you're worried about? Not particularly worried about this part of the call. I, I, I'm on the other side of the fence here because we see that uh, international travel is picking up over the past few months as travel restrictions have eased. And the biggest element of growth for Visa and MasterCard over the next year is likely to be cross-border transactions. That's what's frankly held them back uh, in the year and a half up till now. So I, I, I'm on the other side of the fence here. All right, so that's the Visa trade. Our next call on the financials comes from a more traditional one. It's Wells Fargo. Deutsche Bank reiterates it as a top pick and says that it's better capitalized than its banking peers. It's cutting costs. It's more levered to rising interest rates. Stephanie, this is a name that you own. I totally agree with this call. And he's also saying that the asset cap is going to get lifted sometime in the spring of 2023. That would be a huge positive. I have no insight about the asset cap, but I'm, I'm hopeful he's right. But it is a turnaround story. It's a cost-cutting story, right? It's a new CEO who's not even new anymore. He's been there about three years. So, But he's doing a good job. It takes a long time for these turnarounds to start to really work themselves. And at 1.1 times book, 1.3 times tangible book, that's pretty cheap. So if, Josh, you look at the fintech names, which we focused on for the calls of the day, and then one traditional bank, financials, a place that you want to be, a value-oriented trade that is yet to kind of really come to fruition? I think the, I think the banks could be okay. I, look, if, we, if you're going to have a soft landing and you're going to eventually get a steepening of the yield curve or at least a de-inversion of the yield curve, these stocks will immediately feel the effects. The, the market will get ahead of the fundamentals and they'll run these things up. So I think in that scenario, um, it's okay. 
However, there are other scenarios that could play out. And I don't think that these stocks are as cheap as they used to be. Um, they've had a decent couple of years relative to the market and in absolute terms. Um, there are probably some spe- special situations like Wells Fargo that have their own individual catalyst. But to just blanket say, I want to be long financials or, or fintech, I'm not sure that, that, that I can get excited about that particular idea. Before we let you go, just really quickly, is it if you're going to go into the banks, is mm. it the money center banks like B of A, JP Morgan City, or is it more the regional banks as a play on interest rates steepening at some point for the yield curve? Well, if you think the consumer, particularly the, the, the bottom half of consumers, are very susceptible right now, which I do, then you have to believe that the larger banks, the money center banks, are going to better weather the storm. They have bigger dividends. They can buy back more stocks to, uh, stock than the regionals. They should have a little bit more uh, investor support if the market gets rocky. So my answer would be yes. I own JP Morgan. Um, I think it's uh, the bank to own if things get tough. And the chairman and CEO of, of the bank thinks that things, things, thinks that things can get tough here. Um, so they're already preparing for it. All right, that's the financials trade. Stick with us here on the Halftime Report. Mike Santoli's Midday Word is coming up after the break. We'll be right back after this. Anyway, welcome back to the show. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli. I'm sorry, we were just having a chat about our prior lives at one point. Mike Santoli, you're at the NYSE with the Midday Word. It feels like it's kind of yesterday 2.0. I'm channeling my Yogi Berra for baseball guys like you. It's deja vu all over again. Can we expect this melt-up to keep going higher? Little bit. Uh, market Dom acts as if continued uh, to be the case that large investors feel as if they are not exposed enough to this rally. We are at that point in this comeback up 17 percent over two months, where if you look at prior uh, kind of V bottoms of, of various descriptions like 2011, 2018, where you got to this point, there was a feeling out there of it's gone a little too far too fast. Right now, S&P is like 9 percent above its 50-day average. Last time we were there, September 2020, that was a point at which the market did chop around and come in a little bit. It was not a major top. Uh, I do think it, it may makes sense to continue to focus on the fact that the most bullish folks out there are the ones that look at the the kind of vapor trail of this rally, the momentum, the breadth indicators, the stuff that's sort of trying to infer the message of the markets about the possibility for a soft landing. I grant you, in 2019 and in 2012, the Fed wasn't still hiking rates. There are all these differences between the scenario now and the scenario then. But the market is behaving in a roughly similar way. So uh, I think right now it's, it's in the process of earning back the benefit of the doubt for the bulls. On the composite, you can see there on your screen up 24 percent from the lows that we've seen. So maybe arguably a bull market for some people out there. Mike Santoli with the Midday Award. Thank you very much. Very much. We'll see you soon, sir. Straight ahead on the show, industrials among the top performers this quarter so far. So will that industrials run continue? How the investment committee is playing that particular industry coming up next on the Halftime Report. You know that animation. It means sectornomics. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. It's time for this month's feature sector. We are taking a look at industrials which so far this year, as you can see, has outperformed the S&P down roughly 5% compared to the S&P's 10% drop. And within that sector, there are some opportunities for investors looking to get some consistent dividend income in the form of that particular payment. So we've run a screen 
that identifies the names trading higher on a year-to-date basis, so positive performance with a dividend yield greater than 2%. For comparison, the S&P 500 has an average yield of just around shy of 1.5%, and the industrial sector overall has an average yield of around 1.5% as well. The top dividend plays in industrials based upon those parameters are a mix of them. Cummins leads the way with around 2.7% in terms of yield, positive performance. We've also got tools and equipment maker, Snap-on, yield of roughly 2.5%. And then several defense and aerospace names like Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, General Dynamics. You can kind of see those there with yields between 2 and 3%. So this is the dividend play for industrials that have had some kind of relative strength, so to speak. Stephanie, you are adding to industrials, but not necessarily for the defense names. <laughs> no, not, not any of those names, unfortunately. But Union Pacific, I've owned for a while. But I thought they had a really good quarter where they actually beat on the bottom and top lines. Um, they got hit with service issues. But the industrial production numbers today suggest, to me anyway, that things are starting to loosen up. They have pricing power. That's going to help margins as well. Uh, and they have very easy comparisons. So I made it a, a much bigger position uh, this morning. All right, Jim Labenthal, how about you? Are the industrials worth owning right now? Some of them have been pretty beaten up. I can think of Boeing as one of them, and I know that you traffic in that name. Yeah, traffic in it. Uh, yes, I traffic in Boeing, Dom. Um, no, I think, <laughs> I think though, Boeing's a, a good point to make here that the industrials is a very wide swath of industries, and most of them have a story that's specific to them. So Boeing is a recovery in that particular company and in the airline industry. Um, and then you have companies like Deere, which reports on Friday, totally separate metrics and movements to it. Um, this is a play on the need to have plantings around the world, particularly with what's gone on in Ukraine, the destruction of their farmland there. But all these industrials have their own motive forces behind them. Now, Jason Snipe, aerospace and defense is something that you like in terms of exposure that you have. Take us through the Honeywell trade. Absolutely, and that's primarily why we like Honeywell. I mean, they have really nice exposure to the aerospace and defense and also construction, commercial construction, you know, 2.2% dividend yield. Uh, it's down about 3% year-to-date, trading about 23 times forward. But we really like this name. They have about you know, low uh, single-digit, uh, double-digit, I should say, low double-digit earnings growth going forward. So I, li- I like this name. It's our favorite name in the space. All right. Honeywell, Union Pacific, Boeing, some of the names to focus on there. Keep it right here on the Halftime Report. we got final trades coming up next. Don't go anywhere. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. You know what that means. The clock says it's time for final trades. Stephanie Link, we start with you. Yes, Aptive. Uh, this is a name I've owned in the past. I don't own it right now, but I'm looking at it, and I like it a lot. Down 34%. They've already cut guidance pretty conservatively. You have easy comparisons in the second half of the year, and they're outgrowing the market uh, by a mile versus their competition. So this is definitely on my short list. All right, Josh Brown. Uh, CrowdStrike, great relative strength looking at other technology names. This one is hanging in there better than most this year. Jason Snipe. I like Goldman Sachs. Obviously, the IB space has really struggled, but I think as we head into some more volatile times, seasonally, trading value will be up. I like Goldman here. All right, Goldman Sachs, investment bank. I like the financials trade there. All right, Jim Labenthal, finally to you. 
Yeah, Paramount Global. I don't think there's anyone left in the world to downgrade this. It's actually weathered <laughs> about two months of continual downgrades pretty well, frankly. Um, and now the positive news flow, not just the earnings from a couple of weeks ago, but Warren Buffett, probably not him, probably Ted Wexler or Mr. Combs, increasing Berkshire's share of the company as well as a distribution agreement with Walmart uh, should put a lift to these shares. All right. So there are your final trades here. Let's get one final check on the markets right now. Again, floating towards those session highs right now, as you can see there, the Dow Industrial is up 235 points. The S&P up nine, the Nasdaq composite, just about one quarter of one percent to the downside. That does it for the halftime report. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's halftime report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.